Hey, this is Nathan. And this is Thomas. And we are Not the Pastor. Today on the show, we are going to take a little journey back in time to August of 2020 when we had evangelist David Summerdorf as our special guest. Brother Summerdorf has a unique perspective as a traveling evangelist for the last several decades on the state of our Baptist movement. This was a helpful episode back then. It is worth listening to now. And so without any further ado, we wanted to give you the opportunity to do just that. Enjoy. Well, Brother David Summerdorf, thank you so much for coming on the show with with us today. I I know we have been enjoying you with us at our church at Hillview Baptist Church for a revival. And man, that's just been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Could you you just tell us basically what it is that you do and and give us a story. How how did God lead you into this ministry that, that you are involved with? Well, I want to begin by saying thank you was raised in a Soto farm boy, um, attended church faithfully. Our family was not saved, though we respected the word of God. We had a very high regard for it. And I would say I occasionally read it from time to time. But when I joined the Marine Corps in 1979, right after my recruit training, and I was in Millington, Tennessee for my A school, electronics, uh, I had a friend ask me, if you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven to be with the Lord? And <laughs> yeah, I, I think my first response was probably less than charitable. I, his name was Lance Corporal Ike Mills. I just said, that's really none of your business. But he pressed the nice. point and, uh, you know, how Marines can be direct. And he said, well, I ask you a question, answer it. So I said, well, I think you, I think you can. I, I said, I, 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 I hope I would go to heaven. He said, the Bible says, you know, you can know. And I immediately pounced on that. I said, there's no way you can know. He said, oh, the Bible says you can. I said, no, it doesn't. And he took me to first John five and read to me there that classic, classic portion of scripture. These things are written unto you that believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And here I am, 18 years old, and all I, the best I had was hope I could get it. And here the Bible was telling me I could know I had it. And, and at that moment, probably for me, it was, it was kind of the moment that said, you know, you may have packed that Bible, you may have read it, but you really don't know what it says. So I, for whatever reason, I just, though I was only 18 and I had my future ahead of me, I really felt like this was something that needed to get settled. And probably God was prompting my heart to settle it. So I, I began to attend Monday night Bible studies at the Serviceman Center outreach outside the base. I began to go to a local church. And two months, uh, two months into my searching of scriptures, the Lord showed me I, I was a sinner that needed a Savior. And uh, I got saved on a Monday night Bible study and Serviceman Center outreach in Millington, Tennessee. So that really was my launch point. You know, I had... I had gone into the Marines looking for a commission. Good place and to start. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> it, it is. And, and all of a sudden, here I am now, newly saved. And, um, of course, the first thing I did, I called home to tell my parents. We were a very strict German family, raised uh, with a lot of character. My dad was an engineer and a farmer. My mother was a public school teacher. And when mom answered the phone, <laughs> I remember she said, how's it going, David? And I was the first one to launch. I was the oldest and the oldest twin. So I was the first one to say, see you later. And out into the world I went. And 
I remember telling her, hey, guess what, mom? I got saved. Yes. And this all-American mom, and she really, she really was that. She was the classic all-American mom, classy lady, and just a great wife and a great mother. She, she kind of began to stumble. She, she said, well, uh, um, that's, um, that's good, David. And I could tell she really didn't know what to say. Right. But following that conversation, I found out later when I talked to her, dad was listening in from the den and, and mm. uh, he said, was that David? And mom said, yeah, that was David. And he said, what's up with David? And she said, I think he got religion. Ah. And, <laughs> and, and when she said that, my father in his old fashioned wit and wisdom said, well, just be glad the kid's not on drugs. And, uh, <laughs> yes. That's great. That's how a German. That's how a German dad handles that news, you know. All right. All uh, it right, could be right. worse, you know. Yeah. So, long story, long story short, uh, you know, I came home on leave a few months later, and uh, sat the family down, shared the gospel with them, used a big two foot by three foot piece of cardboard, and showed them the man separated from God by the Gulf of Sin. And I said, "Hey, you guys taught us the Word of God was truth in the Bible, but we never knew what it meant to be saved." And so. I uh, mm. I went ahead and shared that. Took about an hour or so. Uh, drew a line down the middle and said, "If you died now, what side would that be on? What side would you be on? You know, with God or or separated, heading to the lake of fire." And um, I never pressed them to make a decision. We were a very educated family. Uh, we were very. Um, I would guess we would say we were pretty proud and self sufficient. I just knew whatever had to happen, God would have to do it. So I left it with them. And begin to pray for him. Uh, within a year, my twin brother Doug got saved. Uh, within that same year, my kid brother Ron got saved. Uh, my sister made a profession of faith and started holding Bible studies in the uh, school library with the students. Uh, I, I watched my dad come forward and trust Christ as his Savior. So, um, so good. Uh, what was this little spark? You know, just uh, affected multiple lives and multiple family units now. And, um, and I like to always say this too, uh, if you go back to that farmhouse that we literally built by hand, uh, in Minnesota, uh, and you go, you wend your way up the steps to our bedroom where Doug and I, twin, twin boys, oldest ones grew up and worked the farm there. Uh, you'll find that same two foot by three foot piece of cardboard sitting there. Um, mm. wow. mom saved it. Wow. She saved it as, uh, kind of a, a stone of remembrance to the first time the family heard the, the truth clearly. So, awesome. so, you know, your, your story always starts somewhere. And, and the only story worth having is really the one that starts with Jesus Christ, because, uh, you know, that's the happy ending story. That's the guaranteed happy ending. So right. I wasn't looking for him. I really wasn't. He was looking for me. He made the first move, but I, I praise the Lord. He prompted me and I had the good sense to turn to him. So, so now here I am saved so much for a two to three minute story, but here I am yeah, now saved wonderful. and, and, um, I get stationed up at Whidbey Island, uh, under the ministry of pastor Gary Prisk and, um, a very gentle servant leader. It was, he was very good for me because I, I was a bit of a pistol and, uh, <laughs> and so, um, the Lord in his providence, though I was mustanging to be an officer, Naval Academy and different things like that. In his providence, he offered me a three-year set of orders to stay as an enlisted man and just learn my Bible. And I really felt that's what God had for me. Um, I wasn't planning to really be a preacher. I, I wasn't planning to go into ministry. I just 
felt I ought to learn my Bible. So a long story short concerning that, I took those three years, nestled into the local church, learned, learned the Bible, went to Tuesday night pastor's classes just to, just to really get, you know, get the truth of God's word uh, in all of his facets into my life, became very active in a local church and ministry, teaching Sunday school classes and things. And, and, um, my call into ministry right now, I've been an evangelist for 20 years. Just a few months ago, we hit our 20 year anniversary. Uh, my wife, Deborah, that's where I met her was at Whidbey Island in that ministry under Gary Prisk. Okay. Um, she and I have been married 36 years now. We have six children. We have 11 grandchildren. And we have been in the ministry of evangelism for 20 years and a few months. And in the first five or six years, all six of our children were in the motorhome with us as a, as an amazing singing group. They had the John Marshall family sound, you know, they, oh, yeah. wow. they cut seven recordings and they yeah. just were a great setup for dad's <laughs> preaching, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so in evangelism, 20 years, really my call into evangelism wasn't a burning bush experience. Um, okay. My calling, my calling to evangelism, and I, it for a number of years I never shared it because I really, I always heard these moments where guys were in a preaching service and the Spirit of God spoke to them, "You need to be this or you need to be that." I never had that. Uh, there was no verse that leapt out at me. Um, but I remember these moments. My pastor would come to me, and I'm probably at that point I was probably saved for two years, a young single marine. He said, "Brother Summerdor, Brother Dave." We've got a ministry that came open, and I was praying about who could take it. Yes. It's a rest home ministry, and mm. uh, it's the rest home ministry, and you, God kind of puts you on my heart. And I was wondering, would you be willing to pray about it and see if you'd be able to take that ministry, and God would want you to? So I said, sure, Brother Prisk, and sure, Pastor. And so I went to pray, and I remember as I prayed, the Lord seemed to say to me, well, you could take that ministry. I mean, it's right. a rest home service. Right. I mean, they don't even listen to what you say. You just no, practice during yeah. truth. It doesn't matter. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah I think Jesus loves me a few times. They'll be good with you. And so yeah. I remember I came to the pastor and I said, well, I could do that. I mean, I'm, I have the ability to do that. So he said, yeah. okay, it's your ministry for the next year. So about six months later, he came to me and said, hey, Brother Summerdorf, i got a ministry here that – I was wondering who could take it. It's fifth and sixth grade boys. You know, they need a Sunday school teacher. Yeah. I'm wondering, would you be willing to pray and and ask God, uh, you know, see if the Lord would want you to do that, see if you could do that? And so I said, sure, sure, Pastor, I'll I'll pray <laughs> about that. And so I went to pray, and I, it, it was just, it was not audible, but it was so obvious. The Lord seemed to say to me, you could do that. I mean, these are fifth and sixth grade boys. You're a Marine. You <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's nothing. These kids can't take you out. You can do this, you know. So I did. I just, I just reported back to Pastor, and I said, you know, I could do that. And he said, okay, you got that ministry for the next year. And you know, my call in ministry was an incremental yes. response. It was simply so wanting good. to be a servant, wanting to be a servant, and just simply um, saying yes to constituted authority, asking me to meet a need. So, and um, it just incrementally, I ended up where I am. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was just incrementally deciding to be a servant and um, at the call of constituted authority, just filling a slot and sensing that I had the, uh, the ability and the skill set to just, you know, I was willing to do it. And sure. um, 
I couldn't find a reason to say no when I was requested to do so. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. yeah, that's it. Kind of. Yeah. Billy Summerdorf, I, I, I appreciate that testimony so much. Just my, I have struggled at times, went to Bible college and had, had to write out those papers, right? Tell us about your call to ministry. <laughs> and and <laughs> honestly, what, what you said uh, resonates with me because I don't remember, I, I was saved when I was five, grew up in a good Christian home, going to church. Yeah. Right? But I don't remember a message that was like the message. I don't remember a camp service that was like, this is it. Right. I remember by the time I was 10 or so, just knowing that's what I was supposed to do. That God yeah. was moving that way. And I, I was 10. Oh, I didn't good. even know I could say no. <laughs> like I, I just assumed yeah. that's what you, like, just didn't even know. And so I, I struggled later, 15, 16, 17. I decided I could sure. say no, but my goodness, at 10 years old. And by then I told people and so I was kind of locked in and committed and my pastor wasn't letting me out. So, so uh, I, I really do appreciate just the fact that um, the call of God doesn't always have to be that, that burning bush or that vision right. of the, the, the risen savior there that like maybe Isaiah had, right. Where there's a, the angels and all sometimes right. it's just saying yes. When, God's no, moving. no, I agree. I, I think your biblical pattern, you know, later on, I kind of, you know, considered who in the Bible would have even had that uh, type of call. I think Barnabas would be sure. that example. Mm, you know, yeah. he saw a need, stepped up and met it. And sure. uh, a couple, you know, Paul needed to v be vouched for. Yeah. Barnabas said, well, I could do that. And at the yeah. end of his ministry, he's the missionary partner to the Apostle Paul. So, yeah, yeah cool. I, I, think, I think that's still the highest title you ever have is just be a servant. And good. if you have a servant's heart, God opens doors and says, here's where I want you. So yeah. good. So good. Brother Summerdorf, you mentioned being an evangelist. Could you tell us a little bit more, though? Because there, there's more to what you do, the ministry that you are involved in. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that ministry? Sure, sure. Um, you know, um, I I pastored and assistant pastor for years in Alaska, kind of as a lay pastor. Uh, I really didn't receive an income. I had a good business that I was running, and so I was able to to do ministry for free. My primary position was the assistant, and um, I learned to be a servant there. And then what happened when I got really sensed that this is where the Lord wanted us as a family. Uh, we stepped out 20 years ago, and our ministry really consists of three focuses. It, it's really when we come into a local church, we have three ma major focuses for our time with that local church. Uh, focus number one is to strengthen the local church. Um, yes. You know, Timothy tells us that the local church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Yeah. And it's God's ordained, ordained institution for spiritual maturity, just, just like a family would be the ordained institution for uh, physical and emotional maturity for children. God has a local church to be the place of spiritual maturity for people that are born again. And, and so we come in to strengthen the local church. Our, our goal is to leave it in better condition than we found it. Mm. To uh, to never leave a mess for the pastor to sweep up and broken glass that has to be cleaned up. We uh, and I think I think when I look at that first goal, that first mission goal, I speak as a marine. Now I come in, I'm special forces. I'm strengthening the unit that I come in to to join the the fight with. You know, um, I, I think that having been a a pastor and assistant pastor. Uh, I do remember those times when somebody would come through and just left us a lot to clean up. Mm 
And it was yes. very disheartening to pay somebody to do that to oh, us. Yeah. Right. And, and I just, I remember thinking, may that never be uh, the end result of my time with a local church. May they be in better condition than I found them and uh, be closer to the Lord. So we, we strengthened the local church. Then we encouraged the saint. Um, we focus, our focus is very much on individuals within that local church because that that's the church. The church isn't the building. The church are those people and all the different levels therein. You know, we, we are people, people. We, we absolutely love dealing one-on-one with people in every size, shape, color, and every, every spiritual age group they're in, if you will, you know, whether they're newborns to mature. And so it's not uncommon for us to be personally meeting with people, to have dinner with them so we can get to know them, answer questions they may have, encourage them. So we strengthen the local church. We encourage the saint. And then our third mission goal is to engage the unredeemed. And that is to be sure that when we're there, we're also reaching out we're presenting the gospel. We're giving people that are unsaved an opportunity to be saved. And, and for years, we did that through a tent ministry. We actually had a tent ministry that would seat up to 300. And so the children would sing and dad would preach and we would have a lot of visitors come in from the community and we could yeah. give them the gospel, you know. That's awesome. And, um, and then we moved to the Corvette, which is, you know, everybody says, kind of evangelist are you you know i'm the one who travels with a corvette you know and yeah they say yeah, what do you yeah. need a love offering for hey i need gas for my corvette <laughs> that's you <know>? right <laughs> yes. that's it but yeah. it's it was used in a personal way walmart's we would set up at walmart set up a freedom display people would come to see this uh vet that had all the 9-11 victims names under the hood it had all the troops oh, who died okay. in iraq afghanistan over over ten thousand souls it was a mobile memorial and then we would, you know, we would give them an invite to church to hear me speak. We'd sign them up to, refu- you know, to receive the free movie delivered to the, the doorstep of their house by our local sponsor, which yeah. was the local church. And right. we we get 40 to 60 visits for local churches when we did a, a Walmart outreach, particularly that was our best. So, so the car isn't with us now. It's in museum. But so strengthening the local church, encouraging the saint, mm-hmm. engaging the unredeemed. That is really our mission our mission goals right there. You mentioned the Marine Corvette, Brother Summerdorf, and I love how it, it's in museum right now and it's kind of doing the work of the ministry there in that museum yes. while you're traveling around preaching because you, you actually you mentioned to us the other evening in our service that they're right there. There's a QR code as people view the car and I've seen the car. It's it's beautiful. It's a wonderful display, a wonderful memorial to those lost in the the war on terror. And and but there's a QR code right there that the visitors can scan, and immediately they receive the gospel right there on their phone. And that that's just so awesome. so neat. Just how passively it's 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 doing a work while you're yes. actively out doing that. And and that's it's a really neat tool. Never very unique. Never seen anything quite like that before. We we've used it at our church. You you've brought it. And we've done some of those Walmart outreaches that you mentioned and, and sure enough, got a lot of good visits uh, that came as a result of people being interested in that and coming to church and just a really, really unique tool, way to get the gospel to yes. people. That's great. That's That's well, we, we definitely want to 
at the end of the show at, in the show notes there at the bottom, put your info in there so that people can maybe reach out to you and ask more questions about that, about your ministry, about the Marine Corvette. But, but really this, this has all been introduction up to this point. Honestly, I, the, the real okay. meat, <laughs> the real meat, I think of this episode that we wanted to ask you about brother Sommendorf is having to do with now that you have traveled our country for the last over two decades and you have been in 40 plus churches a year, you, you have seen uh, pretty much all that there is of our Baptist movement. You, you've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. Absolutely. And, and that's really what I, I think we wanted to check in with you about today is, is as you have been traveling around these two questions, what are we as a, a movement, what are we as Baptists doing well and also, what are we doing poorly at? What, what, from your opinion, could we improve on? What could we do better at? So, lay it, lay it, lay it on us. What are your observations? <laughs> well, you know, as an evangelist, I recognize that, um, uh, and I would probably say I approach that subject delicately because. I don't want to. I don't. I, I just don't want to be seen as a critic. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, back when I owned my business, back when I pastored, you know, uh, the critics are. You know, they're always there. Right. And as Teddy Teddy Roosevelt said, you know, he said the man in the arena, that guy out there that's struggling and and uh, and daring to do what needs to be done to win, that's the guy that counts. You know. Yes. And. Um, so all these pastors and ministries, they're in their foxholes. I have the highest regard for them. Yes. And, um, and, and yet I have to say, I, I'm one of them. I'm an officer. That's how we would frame this in Marine Corps terms. I mean, every pastor is an officer. He's yes. a leader. I'm a, an officer. I'm a leader. So as I look across and, and look at our ministries, uh, you know, what I would say, what are we doing well? And then the other question is, what are we doing not so well? I, yes. I like to frame it that way um, <laughs> it, because I believe everybody's intentions are good here. I yes, don't, absolutely. Uh, it's I, important you know, to remember. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing well? What are we doing well as I look across at American Christianity, particularly the independent Baptist movement? There's a few things we are just doing exceptionally well. Number one, uh, we are, we are, our foreign missions our faith promise and grace giving programs, whatever you want to tell them, our investment in missions is just unbelievable. Um, uh, I, everywhere I go, the budgets keep going up. It's very rare. It's extremely rare that as I talk to the pastor saying, how's the missions going that he says, well, we had to cut it. I, I, I just don't hear that. They say, Oh, we're, we're doing more this year than we did last year. Wow. You know, we're, so foreign missions, you know, in the independent Baptist movement is very, very strong. We're, we're really good at that. And we have done a great job putting that vision in front of people to be a part of something big, not just all of something small. And, and yeah, they just, it, we're really doing that. Well, I, I really, I, 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 it's always delightful to see and hear. Second of all, we're, we're doing very well church planting. We're, we're kind of the church planning machine out there. You know, we, um, though we see some closing, you know, we have home missions conferences, uh, faith, uh, church planning conferences. Uh, we are, 
for the last 20 years, we've begun to invest very heavily in getting more churches started in America. And I, I don't think other movements are quite where we are on that. We have really got some great things happening there. And, um, that's, awesome. that's encouraging. And so that's just, that, yes, very much so. So, um, those are two things we're doing exceptionally well. Um, I think we're starting to move into the discipleship that at one time, if you go back 20 years, 30 years ago, uh, was extremely weak. We were all about soul winning and we were very little about, about discipling. You know, we were, we were happy to birth them. We were happy to see God birth them, but boy, to raise them and train them, man, that was, uh, that was a very big blind spot. I, th I see discipleship picking up. Uh, a lot more uh, here. So those are some things I see that we're doing very well. Uh, I'm, you're hearing my voice fade because my computer's fading. Yeah, no, that's I'm plugging totally it in here. So, uh, so those are some things I see us doing exceptionally well. Ian, uh, and when you look at you look at the Independent Baptist movement, mm -hmm. we are the Marine Corps of Christianity. Okay. I like that. That is just yeah. a cult. That is that is who we are. We are the Marine Corps of Christianity. We will be the last ones to give up the hill of truth. Hmm. We will be the last ones to sell out the book hmm. and to walk away from the scripture. Um, now we'll be the first ones to start a fight. You don't need. That's just what the Marines are. <laughs> so, well, you, you have to. You know we're. We're combatants by nature. You know, we're the tip of the spear. So, you know, sometimes we do frag each other, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, that's we still do that well. We're holding the hill of truth well. There's some slippage, but for the most part, we're people of the book. And we just we are not we we are not going to give that hill up yeah. where others may other movements may. We just refuse to do it. Yeah. So those are the things we're doing well. Those are the things we're doing exceptionally well. Like it. And, uh, those are encouraging. Yeah. Appreciate those observations. Yeah. Now, now, what about and, the other side um, of the coin? Yeah. <laughs> what about you know, not so? What about not so well? That, not so well. Not so well. I think. Yes. I think there's a couple areas. First of all, we're not. We're not people of prayer like we used to be. Mm. Um, we're always looking for better programs. And, sure. and so we, we're doers. Oftentimes yeah. we're not beers. We're not beers. We're not, we, we, we trust the program more than just that prayer life. And yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's either or I think it's, and both. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, I think you have to, you have to have a plan. You need to have programs. You need to be active, but we need to recognize. And I think more in our movement that, Unless God taps that heart, <laughs> you know, unless yeah. God gets involved and the Holy Spirit of God works in a, in a supernatural way, we may bend things our way, but when we walk away, it just springs back where it is. It doesn't yeah. last. Yeah. So you look at those early disciples, they didn't have much for program. Sure. No. Yeah. You know, nope. they just they just spent time with Jesus. Yep. Yeah. And it, it was their strength, you know. So so I, I, I am a guy, I'm out of the box. I love programs. I yes. love a better way of doing things. Right. But I guess maybe as I've gotten older, I'm also recognizing that sometimes we can bounce all over the place looking for programs and we miss the prayer closet. Yeah. And in the mm -hmm. process, we just, 
we do all the work and then we get all the credit, yes. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, yeah. it, we got it. We've got, we've got to get that prayer back in our personal lives to where mm. we really do believe God moves beyond us and we need his power. So, so that's, that's one thing so I see a weakness. Yeah. yeah. I see a weakness in our prayer life. Um, I like to say it this way. We're always looking for better programs and God is always looking for better people. Mm. That's good. Mm. You know, yeah. and yeah. and people of prayer, yeah. and yeah. people that just just spend time with him. You sure. know, sure. So, but, so that Sum- one we're struggling. Brother Summerdorf, what would you say then would be um, the way to improve? You know, I think first of all, uh, it, there's different levels in there, but I mean, one of them is just that private prayer closet time, and mm-hmm. and when I. It's it that is doing, but yeah. to just get alone with God and shut the world off. I, I was telling the church here when I looked at where we're living. We're living in the last lap of time, mm-hmm. and um, and then I Sunday nights reminded them we're going to be leaving in the last lap, but yeah. we don't want to be losing in the last lap, and yes. we don't want to lose our focus. And that yeah. is Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. So private prayer has got to be there. I mean, b- yes. before we do anything in the morning. We don't want to reach for our phone first. <laughs> we don't want to reach for talk radio first. You know, we don't want to reach for, you know, this, that, and the other. First. We want to reach for the word of God first. And don't, begin our don't day reach with for God. the podcast first is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if the podcast is, is chock full of the word of God, I mean, that's not a bad reach, you know, sure, so, sure, but, sure. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, start your day. Yeah with the awareness that this is the day the Lord has made and yeah. it's his day. And, and I need to begin. And I, you know, I, I taught, uh, I mentioned to the man, the word acts adoration, your prayer life should begin with adoration, just adoring God for who he is, just pausing for a moment and thinking who you have. He's sovereign. He's holy. Yep. He's merciful. He's loving. He's true. He's not dishonest. He's a true, true and honest God. And then he changes not. Then you go to C, which was confession of sin. We got to pause and just say, well, that's not what we are, you know, in our private time, just to confess to him our sin. Then T was thanksgiving. Just, Lord, I want to thank you for this, my spouse, my family. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for the hard times. Thank you for the trials, you know. And then we end with supplicating and praying for others. So, so first we have that private life. But then something that has enriched my prayer life is when men get together and spend time in prayer. Sure. Just a collective prayer time as men. And then a collective prayer time as the church. Yes. You know, you get to the book of Luke 18, and Jesus says, and it's a whole Luke 18 just focuses so much on prayer. And it begins by saying man ought always to pray and not to faint. And, and the inference in that is pretty clear. If you don't pray, you're going to faint. Yeah. Right. You, know, <laughs> yes. you ought to pray so you don't faint. And so yes. he finishes this parable with this widow, right? He finishes this parable with this, this uh, insignificant widow in front of an unjust judge. And, and, and he says he will avenge them speedily. The Lord will hear the prayer. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's the question yeah. in Luke 18. Right. I believe it's verse 7. It may be verse 8. Okay. But the question, the inference is when he's coming back on the verge of his return, he won't even find his people praying. Right. Uh. That seems to be an indicator of the last days, his prayerlessness. And, I, and so I, I'm coming back and saying this is an area 
private prayer. Uh, second of all, collective prayer with men. That's always a great thing. Yeah. And then church prayer. Um, there's just something about stopping. Yeah. Getting quiet. Yeah. Becoming still. Yeah. Shutting the world out. And just say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Yeah. That's that's our strength. I, I don't know. You guys know what it's like. You start a day in a tizzy without prayer. It oh, never yeah. gets better. No, it, it doesn't. Never, it's like you nope. you trip on the door on the way out, and you never fully recover your spiritual balance. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and prayer sets that balance and that tone. I, I just so so that is an area we have to be careful that we don't neglect. Yeah. In the midst of all of our busyness and everything we're doing. Yes. Yeah. So good. Yep. It really comes down to the pastor's focus and the men's focus and what they want to emphasize. And so when a pastor sees, hey, we need to be praying more, he sets that whole tone. Yeah. And and not just saying it, saying it is such a Sunday school checkbox, but but to say, okay, here's what we're going to do to help encourage us to pray. Um, I was Mm -hmm. in one church where they did a half a night of prayer. Yeah. They started Mm -hmm. at 8 p.m. and closed at. Uh, or 7 p.m. and they closed at it at 11 o'clock and the man would come up and he'd say here's an area we want to pray for and he would he would take requests and then he'd say let's everybody go pray and then somebody else would come up give a short devotional thought for five or ten minutes and said here's an area we want to pray for specifically and then let's all pray and the church just went for like four straight hours yeah. With wow. short devotional thoughts and then collective prayer, short devotional thoughts. Everybody paired off praying short, sometimes public prayer. One man would pray and then other times break up into groups of two and three. Yeah. I remember this is the moment I remember early in my Christianity. I will say the church's name, Thrift Haven Baptist Church. Pastor Britt was the pastor. I was newly saved. They would have a Wednesday night prayer meeting following the message. Everybody stayed. Wow. They broke into groups of three, four and five. And then they took the requests and we prayed for probably 30 minutes, solid half hour. Wow. And we prayed out loud quietly. Sure. It was like incense going upward. I'll I'll never forget that experience as a new believer, hearing all these murmuring requests and petitions, petitions all across the church house. It was like this collective incense going up into the the very uh, heart of God, you know. And, And I came and visited that church. The first year I got in on the road in evangelism, I came and visited a neighboring church most of these people had moved to. We knelt down with those two men that ran the servicemen center and their wives, Bill Overway and Joe Hyatt. And I heard a lot of noise. And as we knelt down at the pew with our family to pray, I was so looking forward to this. Almost every individual in the congregation left, except for maybe 12 people. Mm, the car doors opening and closing. The scurrying to go pick up kids. And um, I um, really crushed my heart. Yeah. I said, these were the people that taught me how to pray. Hmm. And now in the busyness of life, we've gone beyond that. And we've lost something that's very, very helpful for every one of us. So there are churches and it does start with the pastor and then the men and lead in that area as well. Yeah. Good. So, so yeah. obviously this podcast, Brother Summendorf, is is entitled Not the Pastor. It's more aimed for staff men. And if a pastor a pastor is listening to this, that's great. That's wonderful. He can maybe catch sure. a greater vision for prayer. But would you say it would be completely acceptable for 
an associate pastor or, or a staff man to hear this podcast and think, man, maybe that's something we can improve on. Let me put together a, an idea or a, a prayer time and propose it to my pastor and, oh, and clearly, yeah, and come up. I, I know you mentioned, you know, we probably do too many programs, but I think a prayer program would be just fine <laughs> and, and almost kind of put together a sort of a, a, a scheduled time for the church family to pray, have a prayer meeting and, and propose that to the pastor and see what he thinks of that. It sounds yeah, like that would, that would be, be good accept, and acceptable. Uh, that would be real good. And, and, you know, also let's just kind of wick that down, you know, because our staff members come from men, you know, yes. men that, uh, you know, and so what about the dad in the home, you know, yes. where, you know, yeah, one day out of the week at a certain time, he gathers his family together and they spend a half hour praying or mm. taking requests, you know, turning the TV off and turning mm. on the electronics off yeah. because uh, I yeah. think I think a lot of times the problems that we deal with or the weaknesses, the things we're not doing as well, really they'll track back to the personal life yeah. yes. uh, of, right. of a dad. They'll track back to the family. They'll track back to the home so because the church just reflects the home, really, is yes. what it does. It's a reflection of all those little families that come to the church house, you know. Yeah, it's so, good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I'm glad that we – just focused in on prayer for a while as something that we're doing not so well in some ways that we could improve on that. But I think you had maybe another area that we are not doing so well that you wanted to mention as well. Could you get yeah. that to us? You know, I've observed, I've observed, I've observed um, uh, an area that we're not, do not doing quite as well uh, also would be um, where we're very involved in foreign missions. We're very involved in faith promise and grace giving a lot of churches, Jerusalems are struggling for outreach. It is mm. very hard to get God's people to get a burden for their Jerusalem and begin to deal with individuals yeah, yeah. right where they are and get the gospel out into their 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 Jerusalem. It's very hard. It uh, it's not uncommon for me to come in and just ask, hey, you know, how's your outreach going? And uh, they say, well, you know, we've got we got. Uh, three people that show up for visitation, you know, and this may be a church of a hundred, 120. And, um, you know, you hear that and it, you know, it's, it's unfortunate right. because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the light that shines brightest afar, so far out there, furthest out there has to shine very brightly at home. And, right. yes. and, um, yeah. so, so that is a weakness. And I think I, you know, I've got some ideas why, yeah. you know, um, I think, I think first of for, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, I was Thomas. just going to say that if you're, um, if we don't do a better job at home, we're not going to do a great job to those foreign mission fields soon enough. Clearly. Well, yep. I mean, if we're not, if we're not building churches here, then I mean, we're just not going to be able to have the, no. I, I wonder too, do you, do you think brother Summendorf that sometimes it's easier just to give your money than your time? Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That, yeah. that, that you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and 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 we're very preoccupied people. I remember talking to a missionary coming back from Siberia with his wife and his children, and uh, Brother Russ was his first name, and and he's in Alaska now with a church. But we were trying to boil American Christianity down to one word, mm -hmm. you know. And he said we we talked about it for a while, and I think we found the word. And I said, what's the word to describe us? He said, preoccupied. Wow. Preoccupied. 
He said, we are a busy, preoccupied people with all kinds of things that aren't that important in light of eternity. Yes. And, and so our preoccupation and our busyness and our chasing, you know, all the things that American society offers, we've left off, we've left off that seeing people as souls right there in our community, just seeing them as an eternal soul that Jesus died for and getting a burden for them. We've left that off, you know, and, and that's costing us. Uh, We hate being rejected. So, you know, we'd rather not go out there and get rejected and, you know, it's so, so, but that's combat. I mean, sitting around, sitting around feeling spiritual because we know all these great biblical truths, but then then never getting out of there, out of that and getting out where the battle is and just engaging people and risking rejection and caring about them and, and, and just getting in the, in the, you know, just the grid of life to try to, you know, people at workplace that know us, we know them. That's a great mission field. That's a missing mission field. Now is the place you work. Um, the neighbor in your neighborhood, you could be doing coffee and dessert, inviting people over to your house, getting to know them, yeah. and just, you know, building a relationship there first. You know, there's so many ways, not just door knocking. I, you right. know, yeah. most oh, yeah. people today, and we have to be honest, door knocking, I still do it. Right. And it, this sounds weird coming evangelist. It's my least favorite ministry to do. Yeah. Because yeah. people are in their castle. They're in their yeah. castle, and their arms are crossed. And the very first, you know, your very first, you know, introduction to him is negative. Yeah. It's like, why are you bothering me? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so people, people get out of their castle. Once they get out in the community, they leave their castle to meet people. Well, that's, you know, so I'm probably really, really creating problems by saying that, but, <laughs> but here's, let, let me say this, let me say this. I still do it. Right. You know, because, because the individual says, well, I don't door knock. Well, what do you do? You know, what's your right. way? Well, I don't have yeah. the way. You know, yeah. oh, that's problem. Well, then I like my way. I like my way better than your way because at least my <laughs> I've done. You know? Yeah, so, that's good. So I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I'm not an either or guy. I'm right. an and both guy. Yes. Why can't we keep doing that? But then let's build some other stuff. Let, yes. Let's get a Bible study going in, in in Starbucks. You know, you're sitting here by the Oregon Ducks, man. I think Nathan, you're you're getting a heart for some of the younger generation. Uh, I always thought when you're in a college town, offer a free Bible study on creationism and buy a Starbucks drink for every college student that shows up, you know, you and, uh, and hold a Bible study in a Starbucks. I mean, let's get out there, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, uh, I, I think we want to build those relationships, but our Jerusalem, we're hurting. We're definitely hurting. Yeah. And, um, we're kind of waiting for everybody to come to us rather than getting out there where they are. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I encourage guys to just get out of the box. Yeah. 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 But stay, stay in the book when it comes yeah. to outreach. Hey, that's good. Yeah. And just yeah. tie into relationships and use those relationships for an opportunity to influence them for Christ. Yeah. Well, you I know, think you've definitely done that with the Marine Corvette. That is definitely an outside-of-the-box approach yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that I know has had some fruit come as a result of that. Yes. And, yes. and brother, some of as we're wrapping this up, thank you so much for your insight yes. and just sharing your time with us. If there was, if there was anything else that you could uh, share with us, one last bit of encouragement or advice that you'd like to share with those who are just 
helping out on staff at churches, what, what would you say would be the one thing you would have maybe wished somebody would have shared with you in years gone by, but something that would, would yeah. be just an encouragement and a help to those who are trying to help pastors? Yeah. You know, probably the best advice I can give was, uh, was never really told me, but it was lived in front of me in the life of Gary Prisk. Um, recognize and, and just, just recognize that the highest calling and title you'll ever have is just being a servant of the most high God. Um, Mm. you know, those people, those people that you're ministering to and that pastor you're ministering with, um, uh, those people aren't even your people. They're God's. Good. And oh, yeah. be a steward, be a minister. This isn't, you know, I, t- I, tell, I tell guys many times, we're a family. We're not a corporation. Yeah. Uh, I worked for corporate America. And a lot of times in corporate America, it's the big I, little you mentality. Yeah. And it should never be that way in the house of God. We're all sinners saved by grace. And to me, it's not an authority issue. It's a responsibility issue. I mean, if I'm going to get a title or I'm going to have a ministry, um, it's not for the opportunity to go ahead and put my thumb on a bunch of people and, and get them to serve my needs. It's really now I'm very accountable Mm -hmm. to meet their needs. And, um, I would just say to every staff member, you know, um, and, and, and to every one of us in leadership position, Gary Prisk used to say it so well, uh, a man who thinks he leads and no one follows, that's a man who's just out for a walk. <laughs> and, uh, love it. You know, yeah. you have to bring them with you and to bring yeah. them with you, you're going to have to love them. You're going to have to love them. You're going to have to minister. You're going to have to take a kick in the teeth once in a while. You're going to have to just get down there and be a servant. And I say, be a servant. Just be a servant and let God do all the counting and let God do all the promoting. You just be a servant. And that's my advice to every staff member out there. That's so good. So helpful and speaks right to where we live that um, in order to, in order to make a difference, we're going to to serve people. So Jesus did make yes. it sense that we would yep. be above that. <laughs> I think that's in Amen. the Bible somewhere. <laughs> you know, it is, it is funny because once in a while you run into that situation where, you know, somebody has prayed, Lord, please use me, Lord, please use me. And then all of a sudden they're in this position of responsibility. Something bad happens. And this is what you hear them say, well, I got used. Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of what you were praying. For, right? <laughs> well, yeah. That's what it you looks know? like. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's, that is part. That is part of the ministry. Yes. So you yes. guys, you're a delight. Thank you. Oh, I'm just humbled you. by the fact you even invited me to be a part oh. of your podcast. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing, guys. I love this uh, this opportunity to just chat. And and uh, and uh, I hope somehow I've been an encouragement to others. And uh, I would say to all the pastors out there and uh, all of those that you may you know you you may know me. You've always been a great encouragement to me. Stay on the firing line. Uh, yeah. our, our cause is worth fighting for. So Amen. stay faithful. Amen. That's good. We sure appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us today on Not the Pastor. We want to invite you to go and see the ministry there from Brother David Summerdorf. You can find that militaryvet.com that's m i l i t a r y v e t t e 
Facebook.com. Go ahead and check that out. Also, we want you to join us on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash not the pastor. Love to hear from you and tell us what you thought of this episode. And then finally, would you rate and review us? You, whatever podcast hosting site you'd found us on, if you would just leave us a, a review, leave us a five-star uh, a five-star review and give us a, a, a rating there. That would be fantastic. We look forward to talking to you next week on Not the Past.